0: Please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, and today my guest is author, artist, teacher, and magician, Damien Eccles. Now, this is not the first time I've been in conversation on Insights at the Edge with Damien Eccles. Damien was a guest about five years ago, and I was all prepared to spend our time together talking about his experiences in prison. For those of you who aren't familiar, Damien spent 18 years in prison under a wrongful conviction of murder. Eight of those years were in solitary confinement. His story of his wrongful conviction was documented in a couple of films, Paradise Lost, West of Memphis. So I was all prepared to talk to Damien about how he uh, survived his prison sentence with his uh, heart and his human capacities so intact. And as our conversation started pretty soon, Damien, I don't know if you'll remember this. You said to me pretty early in the conversation, I don't want to talk about my prison experience anymore. And I had this moment, I was like, oh, oh my, what are we going to do? And I said, what do you want to talk about, Damien? He said, I want to talk about magic. And then you went on a bit and you said, you know, it's time for me to come out as a magician. And when I heard that phrase, it's time for me to come out as a magician, I got uh, chills up my spine. And I was like, that's what we have to talk about. This is important. And I asked you to teach our listeners, something about magic. And you led us through a practice. It was a practice on the middle pillar. And I felt like I got dropped into a big, open, vast, endless space. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is a real teacher of magic. And that began our relationship, your relationship with Sounds True. A book came out of that called High Magic, a guide to the spiritual practices that saved my life on death row and now sounds true is releasing a new book with you called angels and archangels a magician's guide and uh, i'm so happy who knows what will happen here as we talk about angels and archangels i'm so happy to have you as a guest again on Insights to the edge welcome
1: Damien. thank you so much for having me i'm glad to be back again
0: well let's start at the beginning what are angels and archangels what are they
1: Oh well, think of it. I had a friend one time, and I thought this was one of the most apt descriptions I've ever heard of of what angels are, and sort of the difference between archangels and angels. Uh, but he, de- a friend of mine, described angels as the litter of the universe, and what he was kind of saying, he was trying to articulate how everything is literally made out of angels. Uh, it is the, the they're basically the quantum field that we exist in. To use Scientific terminology. You know, they're coming a long way with with understanding these things now, like unity consciousness, stuff like that, using uh, scientific models. So, angels are the quantum field. They are the substance that everything arises out of. Uh, the The world of form arises out of. Archangels are. Think of them as the intelligences behind this energy, the intelligences that direct this energy and that make sure everything uh, flows smoothly and continuously.
0: Okay, so give me an experience, whether it it happened in prison or in any time in your life, where you was like, oh, that was an experience of the presence of an angel, and that was an experience of the presence of an archangel.
1: Well, I I think a really good example would actually be uh, the first book that I did with Sounds True, High Magic. Uh, Whenever I got out of prison, you know, like you said, not only had I been in for almost 20 years, but I had spent nearly a decade, the last decade of that in solitary confinement. Uh, So whenever I got out, I literally went from solitary confinement one day to the streets of Manhattan, literally overnight. And whenever that happened, something in me broke. You know, I had looked at getting out of prison, getting off of death row, not being murdered by the state. I looked at those things as like a finish line. I didn't really even see anything beyond that. So I had no idea how hard it was going to be whenever I got out of prison. And by hard, I mean like psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, I had At the time that I was in prison, I pretty much dedicated my life to these practices. I lived like I was in a monastery. Um, And to be honest, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, there were times when I didn't even think about the fact that I was in prison anymore because I was so just excited and into what I was doing and what I was learning and and how I was growing and the changes in, in my consciousness that I could see that were unfolding so rapidly that I would not even think about the fact that I was in prison. So so magic made life, you know, not only bearable in there, but it made it so that I was actually thriving and sometimes, you know, even enjoying myself as I was going through this growth process. The day I walked out of prison, it was like something in me shattered. I could not read anymore. You know, I had read books, like probably on average three to five books a week while I was in prison for almost 20 years. Uh, At one point we had to rent a storage facility just to hold all the books. I was used to doing magic for up to eight hours a day. Whenever I got out, I could not read. I, you know, I would read the same page of a book over and over and over, and not be able to retain what I had read when I got to the bottom of the page. Um, looking back in hindsight, now we realize uh, part of it was probably due to uh, like having a nervous breakdown just from this, you know, tremendous change in environments that mm-hmm. happened suddenly, um, and, and also things like we didn't realize. Uh, being in solitary confinement for so long, especially when my brain was still in its formative years, still forming connections, it did not allow my brain to form connections the way most people's do. So we didn't even realize until I got out that I was lacking things like facial recognition or voice recognition, because you don't see a lot of faces you know, when you're in solitary confinement. You don't hear a lot of voices. So we didn't realize the full extent of the damage th- that I had went through and, and came out of that environment with uh, mm-hmm. until after I was out. And I honestly thought my days of writing were over even before I wrote um, High Magic. So what happened is whenever uh, you asked me to come to Boulder and and basically you said, well, why don't we go about it the opposite way that we normally would? Why don't you go into the recording studio first and sort of speak out talk about what you can, you know, you can still speak. So say whatever it is that you're wanting to say, and then we can sort of turn it into a transcript and give it back to you that you can shape into the book. I, up until that point, I honestly, you know, when I would walk into that recording studio in the morning, I walked in with no notes, no idea what I was going to say, nothing. And what happened is, like I said, when I was in prison, I was doing magic for eight hours a day. Whenever I got out, I could not even do it for a few minutes. Not only did I think, My writing career was over, but I also thought maybe even doing magic is over for me. I just can't do it anymore. But when I would get ready to walk into that recording studio in the mornings, I guess it was kind of that thing whenever someone is about to have a car accident and, you know, whenever you can see the guardrail coming at you and you start putting everything you have into praying and saying, just please let everything be okay please don't let me hit the rail. I started kind of doing the same thing right before I would go into the recording studio. The only thing that I could think to do was, even if you can only do it for two minutes, start invoking angels of mercury because mercury is the planetary energy that corresponds to like communication and being able to convey ideas to people in a way that they can understand. Um, You know, everything to do with communication. And that's what I was wanting to do. I was wanting to communicate all of these ideas. So before I would go into the recording studio every morning, I would start invoking these angels of Mercury and basically just saying, please help me. I walked into that recording studio each day having no idea what I was going to say. And I would just open my mouth. And the next thing I knew, the day would be over. And we had recorded an entire session. And it just sort of came spilling out of me. It was writing high magic, going through that process, that started the healing process for me. From that point on, after we started working on high magic, I was able to start doing magic again. And I've now built back up to, uh, you know, on a good day out here, probably doing six hours if I can. So it really was working with Sounds True and writing high magic it sort of put me in a position that forced me to start the angel invocations again. And it was a huge part of what started putting my life back together. So that was the angel aspect of it.
0: Okay. And when you, when you say you were invoking the angels of Mercury, did you feel mm-hmm. those angelic presences in a certain kind of way? I and mean, you talked about how angels are all around us. They're in the quantum field. Did you feel something? I mean, I, I get that you were able to deliver a a talk that maybe you were surprised by yourself, but was there some kind of palpable quality to the angelic presences?
1: Absolutely. Um, And I think that was one of the things that originally drew me to this practice. You know, not only, um, did I practice magic while I was in prison, but at, at one point I also received ordination in the tradition of Japanese Buddhism. And I would sit zazen meditation for hours a day for several years at a time. And I honestly felt like I didn't get a great deal out of it. It just wasn't a practice that was suited for me, I guess, whenever I, I decided at one point, okay, I'm going to go back to ceremonial magic, which was always my first love since I was a child. But I thought this time, instead of, of approaching it, you know, like you just do something whenever you need help or whenever you're in a dire situation, this time I'm going to approach magic with the same level of dedication and discipline and commitment that I did Zen Buddhism. And I started doing these invocations. Uh, for these angels, beginning with an exercise that like the very, one of the very first exercises that give you in magic is called the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. And you're you're using four different angels, uh, Mikael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel, whenever you're doing this exercise, there comes a point whenever, um, you know, they say in magic that Reality is made up of different levels. It, it consists of like different layers and each one is made of like a finer or more, or more subtle substance or energy. Most people have never uh, developed the ability to perceive or work with those energies because we are so deeply rooted and grounded in the physical body that we automatically assume that this is all there is, that this is the... the vast bulk of reality is the physical world. So whenever you do finally uh, perceive something else, they call it, in in magic, it's referred to as piercing the veil of paraketh, P-A-R-O-K-E-T-H. It's a really fancy, obscure way of of saying that for the first time in your life, you develop the ability to perceive that there, you know, not believe or hope or have faith in, but to perceive from your own firsthand experience that there is something more to reality than this physical world. It was doing these angel invocations in the beginning that finally allowed me to perceive that. And it can be a really, really unsettling experience, to be honest, just because, you know, we all hope there's something else. Most of us believe there's something else, but that is a far, far different thing from coming face to face with something that shakes the foundation of how you understand reality in the world around you. I mean, it shakes you to your core. It is a very very unsettling experience. They actually call it uh, the guardian at the threshold. And the reason they call it that is is a lot of people, whenever they get that first perception of what lies beyond the physical world, it's unsettling enough that they say, nope, I don't want any more of this, don't want anything to do with it. And, and they'll go back and just sort of immerse themselves uh, in the mundane world and try to forget that there is anything else. It, it usually introduces that. Or it does the exact opposite and sort of makes you ravenous. You want to see, well, you know, if I can perceive this, if I experience this, then what else is there out there that I can, that that's possible, that, that I've never been taught about in school or in society or anything else. So I started being able to perceive these figures, I would say within three months of actually doing these practices um, and, and the only way I know how to describe it, this is why in the Bible, every single time an angel appears to someone, the very first thing it says to them is, be not afraid, because it is a very, very rattling experience. Uh, you know, you, and, and no one can help you. It's not like you can go to someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm experiencing something uh, and I need help finding out if this is real or if I'm losing my mind here. Um, but what happens eventually is you get so used to perceiving uh, what's happening around you with these figures, with these intelligences, that it would be more of a shock to you if you did not perceive something than perceiving something. Now, you know, many years down the road, uh, I automatically just expect them to be there.
0: Okay. Well, the, the example you gave of coming into the Sounds True studio and invoking the angels of Mercury didn't sound that scary or unsettling to me. Did, have you mm-hmm. had any face-to-face angelic encounters that were unsettling for you that, that were scary? I think the very first
1: one, and and I, you know, I think that's one of the benefits to working with angels also is energy and the quantum field tends to respond to us in the way that we expect to respond. So we sort of have, you know, in Western culture, all of these ideas and associations that automatically go along with angels. You know, for example, they're, they're benevolent. They're not going to harm us. They're going to do things that work out for our good. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons in magic that angels are one of the first things that you're introduced to, uh, because it is a really safe, um, effective form of magic that allows you to to see what's possible. You know, sort of wading into the kiddie pool a little bit, if you will. Um, but the very first time yeah I, like i said i'd been doing these invocations for probably 3 months before i perceived anything for the first time the very first time i ever realized something is actually happening here you know this isn't just visualization this isn't just mind games this isn't just me hoping suddenly with all of my being i was going through the process just like i did every day and suddenly i knew and felt to the core of my being something is here something is present and the only way I can articulate what it was like what it the way I perceived it whenever I say I see something I'm not talking about with my physical eyes you know Rudolf Steiner uh, if you're familiar with some of his work talks about how we have sensory faculties within our energy system that correspond to uh, our senses in the physical body So whenever I say I'm seeing something, I'm not talking about with my physical eyes. I mean, with whatever sensory organ it is that we possess in our energy bodies that serves the same function, allows us to perceive these energies the same way our eyes allow us to perceive things in the physical world. I think part of doing the exercises of magic is to get those faculties up and running. I think the angels were probably there from the very first time I started to invoke them, but I was not able to actually perceive them, experience them, feel them, see them, however you want to say it, until those faculties had gotten strong enough. So when I'm doing this, the only way that I can describe it is I realized I suddenly was looking at what I can only describe as two black triangles. Um, There were no facial features. There were no limbs. There were no wings. There were no halos. But I knew to the core of my being that this is what I was invoking. That's what I'm looking at. The strange thing years later, I can't even remember who it was. Uh, that said this, but I was looking through someone's work, and they said that if humans could perceive angels as they truly are, the closest we could come to perceiving them would be uh, geometric patterns. And that's exactly what I had seen. I had seen triangles.
0: Can you help me understand that, why a, a geometric pattern would be an accurate representation of an angelic presence?
1: You know, to be honest, I, I can't because there is a lot of things that I don't understand just due to my own um, lack of education. Uh, you know, for example, I dropped out of school when I was in ninth grade. Uh, I never even graduated high school, so I don't have any uh, understanding of things like You know subjects like higher math like calculus and trigonometry and and all those sorts of things the pythagorean theorem and all of those things in some way or another play a role uh within this angelic world uh you know it dates all the way back to ancient samaria ancient sumer which is where the very first depictions of angels and archangels ever came from you know thousands of years before the abrahamic religions would ever come along they were portraying these same things back then and these were a people who were using you know just for example the pythagorean theorem they're they're using the pythagorean theorem thousands of years before pythagoras is ever even born we don't know why we don't know what they were doing with it but we still have the clay tablets where they worked out this process they were also the people who gave us the 360-degree circle uh, because they were trying to portray the heavens on a two-dimensional object. So they came up with the idea of the 360-degree circle so that they could show, basically map out the heavens. So there is a lot of math involved in these practices. And like I said, a lot of these things are mm-hmm. beyond my comprehension. They, they'll. Uh, another thing is they will... You know, not not just math, but a, a lot of science in general. You know, for example, a lot of the way these things communicate, the way that they communicate with you is they will give you uh, an image or a sensation or, or something that you may not understand at first. And you will have to do some research um, to find out exactly what it is you're looking at. And one of those things for me, just a quick example, is when I was – you know, I did tours at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for the past year, uh, d- taking people through and explaining the art and magic of ancient Sumer. And one of the things you'll see on all of these figures that are either divine or semi divine is they are all wearing uh, bull horns. They have horns of a bull on their head. And I, w- I would wonder why. If you do research, the only thing you'll find about the bull horns is that they represent divinity. Or kingship. And I would think, well, that's great, but why do they represent that? So I would go through the process of invoking these angels sometimes. And what I saw one day while I was thinking this question, why the bullhorns, I saw an image of the sun moving backwards through the constellations of the zodiac. Made no sense to me whatsoever. When I started to do research I found that what I was seeing is what they call the procession of the equinoxes, which in order to understand this, and the ancient Sumerians did keep records of this. We don't know how they knew this because you would have to watch the sky for 2,150 years straight before you would see the sun begin to change into a different sign of the Zodiac. And whenever it did, it would appear to be going backwards as opposed to the way it goes normally during our, yearly uh, cycle.
0: Okay, Damien. here's something that you've said so far that I'm still trying to understand, and I'd love to know mm-hmm. just from your experience, uh, which is the difference between angels and archangels, because you've given us this example of mm-hmm. meeting with angelic presences, and I think the feeling I always had about archangels, would they were like Mega angels or something. They were like yes. bigger, yes. more powerful angels. But I, I'm not sure I really have a clear understanding here. Have you met an archangel, not an angel, and what's the difference? Yes. Usually,
1: they have to to, to use you know human terminology. Archangels usually have much more defined personalities, characteristics, traits. Angels function almost just like an intelligent kind of energy. Almost like a flavor of energy, you know, whether it be earth or air or fire or water or one of the planetary energies or zodiacal energy. They are almost um, they have just enough intelligence to carry out a task, but there's not a lot of personality there. Whereas archangels usually have much more of a defined, definite personality. Uh, and, and I don't know if that is inherent within them naturally or if they possess that just because more people believe in them, have faith in them, pray to them. So they're, they're literally feeding these things their energy. You know, when you talk about things like Michael or Raphael or Uriel, you know, most angels do not even have names. You, humanity has never you know, given them any sort of title or name. Archangels are usually the only ones that we have ever even given names to because they're the only ones with personalities uh, definite enough or defined enough for them to relate, for us to relate to them in that way.
0: Okay, so I'm going to take a risk here. Let's say we wanted to invoke the presence Mm -hmm. of an archangel right now, right now in this conversation, Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. uh, for the benefit of our listeners for the possibility that they could feel this potentially some archangel presence that uh could be helpful at this time uh you know helpful with uh healing our hearts with uh healing what's happening in the world right now can you can you can you do that can we do that right now
1: oh absolutely the thing is it usually takes um you're not going to be able to feel it at first because like I said, you know, you have to get these faculties that are within your energy system up and running and start exercising them before you're usually able to to perceive anything, but that doesn't mean you won't see results. Uh, You know, and in the beginning also people will wonder, yeah okay i saw this result i got what i was asking for i experienced some sort of change but would that have happened anyway if i wouldn't have invoked this angel the more you do it and the more you see time after time after time that it works exactly right it 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 actually happens the more you grow to have faith in what you're doing And in these intelligences as well. So usually, that's this is one of the reasons that breath work is so important in both magic and other spiritual traditions. Because whenever you're working with, whenever you're using breath work, not only does your body take in oxygen on the physical level, but your energy system is also taking in chi or ruach or prana or energy, whatever you want to call it, on that etheric or astral level. So that is what we are using to shape and invoke the angel. We're using our breath. Breath provides the fuel, and we're using visualization. Visualization provides a kind of steering wheel. It shapes the energy. All that is really required is you essentially inhale, and you want to, as you inhale, envision that the light that you are inhaling or, or the breath that you are inhaling is not coming into your physical body, but instead it is expanding before you as you inhale you will see an angel expand before you so if we're going to use healing you would invoke for example the archangel raphael the name raphael the thing about the angels also is whenever you see the names that end in l like raphael Mikael, gabriel the 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 Raphael at the end means of God. So whenever you're saying an angel's name, what you are really saying is a formula. For example, Raphael literally means healing of God. So you are trying to invoke the intelligence that is behind the energy of healing. So all you really have to do is sit, take a few minutes to clear your mind, get centered, grounded, and begin breathing slowly and methodically, consciously. Whenever you inhale, you want to envision this angel expand before you. See it so big that it goes beneath your feet, way up over your head, and to either side of you so far that all you can see is a brilliant wall of yellow light expanding before you. And then uh, another aspect of it is the vibration. You, you vibrate the name Raphael as many times as you want to do. The more times you do it, the more dense, solid, and, and vivid you're making the visualization. Because every time you're, you're vibrating the name, you want to see it grow even more powerful. You're putting the energy of vibrating its name into the angel itself. So that's all you would have to do is spend a few minutes. And I know this sounds really simple. And I honestly, whenever I first started doing this, I used to think it can't be this easy. Surely there's got to be more to it, but there's not. And that's another one of the reasons that we work with angels in magic is they want to work with us. They are eager for us to reach out to them and ask for assistance. And if we do, they are very, very excited, willing, and eager to work with us. That's all there is to it. It, it doesn't have to be a big, complicated process. You just breathe, visualize the angel, and vibrate its name the way you would a mantra.
0: Well, thank you uh, for that, Damian. I want to uh, read a couple of quotes From your new book, Angels and Archangels, that I thought were really interesting, that I think will further uh, the teaching component of our conversation here. One of them is the ultimate goal of working with angels is to become one ourselves. I was like, really, really? The the ultimate goal is to become an angel? Can you help me understand that? Well, in magic, that's kind
1: of kind of true, but it's also In magic, the way we also look at it is we are already angels, but we're unconscious of the fact that we are angels. We are like hypnotized angels. So, yes, you could say that we become them. But in another way, you could also say that what we truly do is wake up to our nature, wake up to what we really are where we really came from, and what we're supposed to be doing. We are unconscious angels, but working with angels tends to, over time, gradually and slowly make us conscious of our true angelic nature.
0: Okay, we're unconscious angels. Help me understand how I'm an angel, how everyone's an angel. I still don't get that.
1: Okay, basically, remember how I was saying that the the end of the angel's name, L, means of God. Essentially, what angels are are pieces of the infinite consciousness that all things arose from and to which all things will one day return. You know think about in 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 magic, we always say, That in when we're talking about the phrase God created the world, we don't look at it as meaning exactly the same thing that people in religions mean whenever they say this. Usually when religious people say God created the world, they think of it almost as like an artist, you know, like a painter creating a painting or a sculptor creating a sculpture, where at the end of the process, the artist and the piece that they've created are two separate things. And that's sort of the way they look at the phrase God created the world. In magic, the way we look at it, God is sort of a shorthand for this infinite source, this infinite consciousness from which all things arose. It lies outside all dimensions, outside time and space. It has no borders, no boundaries, no qualities, no characteristics. In order to experience any of those things, to experience change, it has to pour itself into the dimensions of time and space. So it's not that God created the world as much as it is God became the world. God became us. We literally are the infinite consciousness from which all things came. Uh, In magic, a huge part of working with angels, one of the, the main reasons we want to do it is to experience what we call crossing the abyss. The abyss represents a state of consciousness that on one side of it is the world of duality and individuality and ego. And on the other side of the abyss is the actual firsthand direct experience of being the consciousness that looks out through the eyes of all sentient beings on this planet. We are that already, but we've forgotten that we're mired down. Uh, we are the exact same substance that the angels are made of. We just happen to be cloaked in one extra layer of reality that they're not, which is the physical world.
0: Hmm. This notion of crossing the abyss, that, just that phrase is so powerful, thinking about it. You know, it makes sense to me that when you're doing the practice, you have an experience of crossing the abyss. And then you're not doing the practice and you kind of come back to your identification with your physical body. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're back on the other, the other side, if you will. Have you found in your own life and with the deep commitment that you have to practicing magic But there's a certain point where you uh, cross the abyss and you don't come back to being identified with your physical body in the same way.
1: I think um, that happens. I, I think that really does happen the very first Time you ever experience this, but, but over time, the more you experience it, uh, you know, b- uh, think of it as almost like water evaporating in a chemistry set. You know, if you're using like a, a distiller and you put your herbs and your water in, in a beaker and then you apply the heat to it, what happens is as this water boils, it evaporates, goes through this condenser, and then uh, condenses back into water. It goes from water to vapor to water. In alchemy, they look at that as us ascending. Like the water that you're cooking, as it evaporates, it is ascending mm-hmm. into uh, finer, more subtle levels of reality into the level of the divine, and then it comes back down into the physical level, which is what makes alchemy so powerful. Basically, you're taking that substance and sending it into the divine realm and then pulling it back down and manifesting it again into the physical world. Every time you put it through this process, you are um, what's the word refining it you are refining the substance a little more and a little more. Every time it comes back down to this side of the abyss, it contains a little more divinity. The ego has been purified uh, a tiny bit more than the last time. Um, so you can tell a huge difference almost immediately whenever you do reach the stage where you start going through this process. But over time it, it deepens and grows more and more profound until it's like they say, uh, you know, in some traditions, they'll say someone walks with a foot in both worlds. That's part of what our aim is when we're doing magic also to walk in the physical world, to exist in the physical world, while at the same time, uh, constantly being aware of and using the energetic and divine levels of reality and doing everything you can to bring more and more of them into the physical
0: world. And just to be super explicit about it, why is it an abyss? Well,
1: they say um, in magic, the way it's defined is... Essentially, magicians go through three orders of learning or training or development. Uh, We separate them just to to make it easy to understand into the first order, the second order, and the third order. The first order is where you begin learning all of the basic practices and rituals, you know, like the lesser banishing, the middle pillar, the rose cross, all of these rituals. You want to become proficient at them. So that's the first order. The second order is is whenever you take everything that you've learned, and by the time you go into the second order, this stuff should be almost reflex to you. You should know it forward and backwards. You start taking all of these rituals that you've learned that involve manipulation of energy in one way or another, and you start directing them towards the next step of the process, which in magic is called attaining the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, or the HGA for short. Uh, Once you accomplish that, the next step of the process will be the dissolution of the self, where you realize that you are not this individual that you have thought you were your entire life, that you are this infinite consciousness from which all things arose. However, the gulf between our normal functioning consciousness and that level of consciousness is so so vast and so huge that they say it cannot be crossed on our own. It can only be crossed with divine help, aid, and assistance. It's, it's the angels who help us make this cross. So I guess the reason it's called the abyss is just because it is this uh, place that for for us in our normal state may as well be infinite. There is no way for us to possibly cross this this understanding, this dividing line between normal individual dualistic consciousness and this consciousness of unity where all is one, uh, the difference between those two states of consciousness is so huge that from human perception, it may as well be a vast abyss.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and how do the angels help us cross the abyss? What role do they have in that? Since it, it sounded like you need the angels to cross the abyss, it sounded like that yes
1: absolutely you absolutely do um I, I you what it is i think well normally whenever you're invoking angels, you would do so for one of two reasons: one would be to manifest something, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical thing like a a, a new house or a car or you know, whatever it is, material items we normally think of automatically when we think of manifestation. It could also be something like what I was talking about whenever I said I started invoking them for help with high magic. You know, anything that you're wanting to change in the physical world would be considered manifestation. So that's that's one reason that you would invoke them. The other reason is for uh, what in magic is called spiritual sustenance. So if you're invoking an angel for manifestation, you sort of give it its marching orders and send it on its way to manifest something. And the reason they do this is because whenever angels perceive us, they do not perceive us as an individual. They look at us and they see us as the infinite consciousness. Whenever you give an angel an order to do something, it views it as if God itself had sent it off on a task. Um, so what if you don't give it a specific task to perform, Uh, the other thing you do is consume it. You absorb it directly into your aura. You are absorbing angelic energy, and it's like they say, you are what you eat. The more you do this practice, the more you absorb angelic energy, uh, the more you become like them, and what eventually, for some reason, what happens, think of it as like a glass of water. Uh, If you had a glass of water and you left it sitting somewhere uh, without touching it, eventually it would start to stagnate and, and it would have a film over the top of it. But if you took that dirty glass of water into the kitchen, turned the faucet on, and just held the glass under the faucet and let it overflow and overflow and overflow, eventually you would end up with a clean glass of water again. So you're doing the same thing to yourself when you're absorbing this angelic energy into your aura. As you absorb that new energy in the old stagnant energy gets pushed out. Eventually it does it. It it cleanses you on deeper and deeper energetic levels until it reaches the deepest levels, which is where this lens of duality uh, that causes us to view ourselves as an individual exists. And it, either refines that or thins it, or maybe even eventually gets rid of it altogether uh, until you experience yourself as infinite consciousness. So the angels are very, very directly tied to the process of crossing the abyss.
0: Okay. Now you mentioned uh, the HGA, the Holy Guardian Angel, and uh, you write Mm -hmm. in the new book, Angels and Archangels, attaining knowledge of the Holy Guardian Angel is the next step in humanity's evolutionary journey. So uh, tell me about the Holy Guardian Angel, and more so, uh, can you show me right now the Holy Guardian Angel? Can you show it to me in my own experience? Can you point it out?
1: Absolutely. Uh, what I, I think also, first, just to give you an idea of what that name, everything in magic is written in a kind of code. Keep in mind that magicians, up until very, very recently in time, have not written for laypeople. You know, this stuff was not just meant for everyone. Magicians have traditionally written for other magicians, and this carries back all the way into things like the Bible. You know, the, the Bible, for example, is a book about Kings, by kings, for Kings. It is written in a kind of code where if you don't have the key, you're not going to be able to comprehend what you're reading, which is where you fall into things like people like literally believing that a talking snake led to, you know, the chaos that we see in the world around us. Um, you have to have the key to be able to decipher these things. The same, and that applies also to the traditional teachings of magic, like with the HGA. The HGA is a metaphor or for the egregore that lies behind all of Western civilization and culture. It is essentially what we would call the god of the Abrahamic religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. It is the intelligence that is above even the angels. When you establish contact with it, what happens is that you are then able to see these teachings in an entirely different way. It's like in the Bible where, where Paul is talking about how suddenly, uh, on the road the scales fall from his eyes and he could see for the first time that's what happens whenever you attain the knowledge and conversation of the HGA you are finally able to understand this truth that lies behind not only uh, the metaphors of religion but also the the teachings of magic you an egregore I used a word you don't hear this a lot in in the English language but what an egregore is in magic sometimes we say that if you create a, a packet of energy that you have programmed to accomplish a specific thing, like say manifest something. It's called, in magic, we call it a thought form. A thought form is this energetic entity created by one person. And egregore, on the other hand, is a uh, packet of energy that will behave intelligently that is created by the belief, uh, faith, an energy of two or more people like when Jesus says where two or more are gathered I'll be in their midst so the egregore of the the god of the Abrahamic religions is this intelligence that is invested with the faith and belief of untold millions of people dating back to the dawn of U- human civilization in Mesopotamia whenever you establish an energetic link with this intelligence you will be flooded with images, information, uh, things that you would have no way of knowing on your own. And that's what they're talking about whenever they say attaining the knowledge and conversation of the HGA. You are seeing what God sees. You are experiencing history, uh, religion, mm-hmm. art, all of these things from the perspective of that infinite consciousness.
0: Okay, so so Damien, was there and. You know, I I hope this is an okay question, but was there a moment where you were like, oh, now I know what it means to attain knowledge of the HGA. It's on. It's happening. This is the moment. Was there a moment like that?
1: Yes, uh, there was. And it... it began, uh, you know, I got to a point where after I could do magic again and started really dedicating myself to it, I would do it for hours and hours a day. I got to the point where I would only sleep for four hours a day. I would go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night and I would get right back up at two o'clock in the morning and start doing these invocations again for hours and hours at a time. One morning at about 2.30 in the morning, I'm standing in my living room. Uh, and I'm going through this invocation process for I don't know how many times it was by this point, and I experienced what was what we call magic—the dissolution of the self, where what you, your individual individual individuality, what you have always perceived yourself to be, suddenly disintegrates like a handful of dust thrown into the wind. This is the very first step on, on the process to attaining the knowledge and conversation of the HGA. Whenever I experienced that, I literally thought I was dying. I, I thought my life was over. I thought you cannot disintegrate. You cannot dissipate. You cannot cease to exist and continue living in this world. And it sounds like a scary thing, but to be honest, it was almost It was a absolutely beautiful thing. I used to, whenever it started to happen, I would walk down the streets of New York and look at all the buildings, and I would just be overwhelmed with this profound sense of gratitude, almost like I was saying goodbye to the world around me. And I would just look at the buildings and the architecture and the people who were passing me, and I would just think... I wouldn't think I'm sad that I'm leaving. I would just think I am so grateful that I got to come here and see all of this, experience all of this. Because this world, you know, we we tend in modern times to fall into this kind of uh, pessimistic thinking about the world is so bad and the world is so dark and all of this. In a split second, it didn't seem bad, it didn't seem dark, it didn't seem negative. Everything was just absolutely beautiful in a way that I had never been able to see before.
0: Now, you know, it's interesting that you talked about this phrase, knowledge and conversation of the HGA, Mm -hmm. the conversation part, as if there's some kind of active, ongoing exchange, a a speaking and and a listening. I just think that's really interesting. I don't know if you have more to say about that.
1: There absolutely is. You know, like I said, some of the stuff I had no means of knowing on my own. And even once I knew it, I couldn't comprehend it because, you know, I had a ninth grade education, uh, no, you know, no foundation in in higher math or or science or any of these sort of things. So I saw a lot of things. I was shown a lot of things, given a lot of things uh, that I had to, to learn. You know, it, it forced me to learn not only an entire new vocabulary, uh, but a new skill set. It, it changed who I was and, and how I lived my life and how I saw the world uh, on a on, on, on like the deepest foundational levels of being. And it wasn't it's not like it just happens like a one time thing. Whenever I did. Attain knowledge in conversation. Whenever I did establish that energetic link, it um, I'm trying to think of a way to articulate it. It it, it uh, it was nonstop. You know, it was over like whenever you invoke an angel. The way I talked about in the beginning, when I perceived that very first one and how over overwhelming it was to the point that it it was scary. This was like that, multiplied by a thousand, just the overwhelming power of it. You, whenever you come in contact with this thing, you will feel yourself so swept up in devotion and love that, I mean, I, I, I can't even begin to, to describe Just, just the depth and and the massive impact that this has on your life, and it will. It for me, it continued in an overwhelming way like that for probably, I would say a solid year, probably a straight year. I was receiving a constant, nonstop download of information.
0: Hmm. Now, uh damien you used the word manifesting in terms of uh invoking angels and archangels that they can help you in manifesting and uh in the book Mm -hmm. angels and archangels you talk about how your focus is 90 percent of your work with angels and archangels relates to spiritual sustenance and 10 percent for Mm -hmm. material manifesting and and You don't make any uh, excuses that, you know, material manifesting is somehow lesser or, you know, should be looked down upon. You're like right there, you know, when when you need things, go for it. But now here's what I want to ask you about that. Uh, You talk about how when it comes to manifesting, it's important to have the view when you're working with angels and archangels that your prayers have already been answered. You're very clear about that. It's really important to have that perspective. And I want to address that person who says, I don't know how to do that because I just don't, if I believed my prayers were already answered, I wouldn't be sitting here praying like this. The reason that I'm Mm -hmm. praying to this angel or archangel is because I don't believe my prayers have been answered. So how how do we work with that honestly?
1: Okay. Let me explain it this way. Going back to what we were talking about a while ago about the quantum field, we exist within a quantum field sort of like fish who live in an aquarium or in a lake full of water. You know, they're taking it in. And interacting with it at all times, even though they're probably completely unaware of it because they've been immersed in it since the day they were born. That's the same way that we are with the quantum field. But we communicate with this quantum field through electromagnetic impulses or or electromagnetic fields that are generated by the human body. Now, the two main organs which generate these electromagnetic fields are the brain and the heart. The one generated by the heart is massive amounts more powerful than the one generated by the brain. This is why, like in ancient Egypt, whenever they were carrying out the embalming process, a lot of times they would discard the brain, look at it as trash, but they took you know, such tremendous pain and and care to to make sure that the heart was well preserved. It's because the heart generates the most powerful electromagnetic field of any other organ in the body. So, you know, in in the Bible, for example, whenever they were putting the Bible together, uh, Emperor Constantine left out 40 to 45 books of the Bible when he was putting together what he wanted it to say. One of those books was the Gospel of Thomas, and in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus tells people how to manifest things. He says, whenever you ask for something in prayer, believe it is so, and it will be. What he's trying to explain to people, what he's trying to say is, for a second, whenever you're trying to manifest something, just take a couple of minutes and Think about how you would feel if it had already come to pass. So let's say whatever it is you're wanting to manifest, if, if it's something that you would feel happy whenever it happens, then for a, just as long as you can maintain it, think about it as if it were already done and try to allow yourself to feel the way you would feel if it had already manifested, if you would be happy, try to, for that moment, allow yourself to feel happy. If you would be relieved, try for a moment to make your, just let yourself feel the sense of relief that you would feel if whatever you're trying to change had been changed, whatever it is, whatever emotional, um, feeling you would feel at the end of that process, try to feel that for a second. Whenever you do that, you are changing the electromagnetic field that's generated by your heart and causing it to interact with the quantum field in a different way. You are basically telling the quantum field what you want to manifest. It does not respond to wants, to needs, or any of that. It responds to these orders these fields, this energy and the visualization that go along with them.
0: Okay. And what about that person who's been listening to our conversation and is having the response, you know, I was with you all. This was such a uh, interesting and important spiritual conversation about crossing the abyss and the disintegration of the separate ego. But when you get to like manifesting the stuff you want, really, Tammy, like, really, that's what this is about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Raphael, uh, a messenger of God, so that I can, you know, get a new whatever, whatever the heck it might be. What would what mm-hmm. you say to that person who has that response?
1: Usually the first thing I point out is that all things work together for the glory of God. Not some of them, not most of them, not a few of them. All things what this means is that the physical world that we inhabit is every bit as divine holy and sacred as anything that we would normally think of and apply that that title to so when you're trying to keep spirit and body together you know it's hard to focus on a spiritual practice it's hard to focus on a magic practice if you're going to get hungry at night or you know you're you've got sick people in your family that you're having to take care of or you know you don't have enough space in your house, whatever it is a lot of times we need things in the physical world before we can properly devote and dedicate ourselves to making progress you know in a, in a spiritual way but the other thing the reason that I talk about a 90/10 rule, uh, you know there is absolutely nothing wrong with anything in the physical world it's not degenerate. It's not sick. It's not sinful. It's not evil. It's just another aspect of reality created by the same intelligence that created all other things. But the thing about the 90-10 rule that I found also is I always say, you know, focus 90% on spiritual sustenance, on things like attaining the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel, or crossing the abyss, or, you know, whatever it is that is, is part of the spiritual path. What I have found, the reason I say focus 90% on that is because normally if you do, you will find that your whole life starts to click into place and run in a way that it never has before, so you will need to do less and less. Uh, magic to manifest something because your life is automatically naturally falling into place and you're doing your will in the world. You're doing what you were put here for. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you find as you go along, the more you do this for spiritual reasons, the less you have to do it for practical manifestation purposes. But there is nothing wrong whatsoever with the fact that you have a need in your life that you're trying to meet.
0: Okay, Damien. I want to bring our conversation full circle here for a moment. Uh, In introducing you, I started by sharing with our listeners that you spent close to 20 years in prison for a crime you didn't commit. That was the time in which you read a lot of books about magic and started these practices and made all kinds of uh, discoveries. You've been on such a journey as a human. Now here you're writing these books and teaching people about these practices, talking about magic as a Western path of enlightenment. How do you understand the weird, uh, we could say, winding path of your life when you look at it? Like When you look at it, how how do you you make sense of your own story? Well,
1: when I look back on it, What I see now and what I try to explain to people now is that nothing happened to me. Everything happened for me. You know, when I was going through some of this stuff at the time that I was going through it, I couldn't see down the road. You know, I couldn't see what what's going to be the fruit that this produces, what's going to be the end result of this or the end result of that. So a lot of times I would think this is just horrible. This is, you know, this is a nightmare situation that I'm trapped in. But every single time I felt that way, once I would get a little further down the road and could look back in hindsight, I would realize how it was just another step in the process that brought me to basically who, who I came into this world to be and what I came into this world to do. People come up to me all the time still, like at book signings or talks, and and they'll say, you know, I'm sorry for what you went through. And it's really hard to describe this to people, but I always think I'm not. I'm not sorry for anything that I went through because I have an amazing life. I got to experience things that You know, most people will never get to experience or see. You know, I was gifted with the opportunity while I was sitting in that cell. You know, most people out here, for example, have to worry about things like going to work and taking care of their spouse, taking care of their kids, you know, keeping their, their lives up and running, going out to the voting booth and voting, going to the grocery store. I didn't have to do any of that. I was gifted this opportunity to basically live like I was a monk in a monastery and dedicate my life to learning and growing. When I look back now, I honestly, God, I I would not, I wouldn't change anything in hindsight that I went through or that I experienced because I, I honestly think my entire life has been an amazingly beautiful gift.
0: You know, it's amazing to hear you say that, Damien. You know, I think when sometimes when people talk about, you know, being in prison can be like being in a monastery. It's like, don't romanticize prison. Don't say that. It's how, but you, as someone, you can say it. Someone else from the outside could never say that, but you can say that from your experience. That's that's tremendous. I
1: think the thing for most people also, you know, people who do say that, that may not have have experienced, I don't think they... A lot of people don't comprehend the reality of of what prison life and the people in prison are like. You know, for example, the average IQ of, of a person on death row is only 85, and that's average. You have a lot of people who are below that. If you have an IQ of 85, you are probably not going to have the easiest time trying to make this transition from hellish prison environment to uh, treating it and looking at it as if I'm on a retreat, I'm in a monastery, I'm doing these spiritual practices. So I, I honestly think for most, I would say 99% of people that go into prison, it is probably a horrifying, horrendous, scarring ordeal that they will never recover from. Uh, for some reason, for me, it just worked out to be a blessing.
0: Damien, what I want to end on is uh, what you write about in Angels and Archangels, A Magician's Guide, as the most profound words ever uttered in the history of magic. Here they are, as above, so below, as within, so without. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you can... Explain that, especially in light of what we're experiencing right now as a collective, where what we experience without, what we see in the world, seems to be that there is a you know pretty huge crisis, period of transformation, God willing, that we're going through as a collective. How do you understand as above, so below, as within, so without, in the context of this time that we're in?
1: Well, I think outwardly the way I would probably say it or or frame it is that we're going through a growing process. You know, there's a reason they call it growing pains. They don't call it growing pleasure. Because whenever you are being stretched beyond your old limits, when you're being forced to change your shape, which is what we as a society, as a culture, and even as a world are having to do right now, uh, because of you know the pandemic, the COVID nineteen thing, because of the the police brutality issues, and and the black people that have been subjected to you know a, a system that, and this is one of those things, you know. Like Like I said, I was in prison for 20 years. Uh, I would have had a much worse time even in the prison system if I were black. The system is, it definitely is um, built on racist and discriminatory ideology foundations and and everything else. So it just, you know, there are all these things in play right now that are sort of bubbling to the surface of society that need to be addressed, that need to be dealt with in one way or another that need to be changed. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun, but when we come out the other side of it, we will be better as a people than we were whenever we went into it. So I think that's, that's the way I look at it as, A whole, on on an outward all-of-us level, but it also means, you know, when people think of astrology now, when magic originated back in ancient Sumer, astrology was not looked at the same as it is now, neither was art, but now people look at astrology almost like the planets and the stars and the constellations are up there sort of beaming energy down at us and causing changes to, or, or, or causing things to happen down here. In magic, the way astrology was traditionally and originally viewed was that we have patterns taking place within our own energy system that mirror the patterns of the heavens as above So below by studying what's taking place in the heavens, we come to a fuller, greater understanding of what's taking place in our own energy system, in our own psyches and every other part of our lives. So as above, so below as within, so without, I think it applies on a individual level and as a, and on a collective world level.
0: Damien, I always love talking with you. you are a, you're a good friend to me and to Sounds True, and I, I so appreciate you and the sincerity of your journey and what you offer people. Damien Eccles is the author of a new book, Angels and Archangels, a magician's guide, a previous book with Sounds True called High Magic, a guide to the spiritual practices that saved my life on death row. Thank you so much, Damien Eccles.
1: Thank you so much for having me again.
0: Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world.